Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. An eviction crisis is looming. The moratorium is about to expire, and that could leave millions of renters without a place to live on New Year's Day. Millions of Americans uh, will not be able to pay their rent this month, so now we're seeing a flood of landlords filing for eviction. Millions of people have lost their jobs in this economic crisis, and because these job losses are concentrated in sort of low-wage service jobs, a lot of those people rent rather than own their homes. Housing advocates for both tenants and landlords are desperate for solutions. In an unprecedented move, the Trump administration announced a temporary national moratorium on evictions for tens of millions of renters who've lost work. The CDC implemented an eviction ban in September to try and sort of prevent people being pushed out onto the street or forced to live with others as a way to kind of limit the transmission of the virus. The action comes through the Centers for Disease Control, which says that evictions pose a health hazard during the pandemic. That's going to expire, and estimates range from 13 million to 17 million people will be facing eviction at the end of the month. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Katie O'Donnell on why America is set to start off the new year with a wave of evictions. So the CDC put in place a ban on September 4th. Big news late yesterday as the White House and the CDC announced a major eviction moratorium. That covers basically all tenants in the country. There are about 44 million people who rent in the country. To qualify, tenants must make less than $99,000 a year or couples up to $198,000. This includes those who got those economic stimulus checks under the Coronavirus Relief Act. Uh, It bans eviction of them for non-payment of rent during the crisis. So... There had been a moratorium that Congress had passed in March that covered all tenants in federally backed buildings, but that was only about 12 million of the 44 million tenants in the country. So this was actually much broader than that. And it's basically sort of a recognition of two things. One is that this economic crisis has just devastated people, and especially low paid people in the service industries who are almost all renters. It's been an adjustment for sure. When Erica Lang lost her job as a waitress because of the coronavirus outbreak, she lost the ability to pay rent. To get the notice today, I mean, it's a little bit scary. So these are people who, you know, are not able to make their rent because they've either lost their jobs or their hours have been cut back. So that's one part of it. And then the other part, the reason the CDC did it, uh, they used a public health law, like a really rarely used public health law. There are actually some legal challenges to this. But they basically said, if you're evicting people and they either have to move in with other people or go to homeless shelters or live on the street, that's actually going to affect the transmission of the virus. An unusual move here, the CDC said it is using its authority to protect public health and contain the spread of coronavirus by keeping people in their homes. And so it was sort of used as a public health reason to prevent evictions. And there's been research. um, The sort of hypothesis there is that, again, moving people into close quarters with others, having them double up or having them live on the street does lead to a greater transmission of the virus. So the CDC has instituted this ban on evictions to 
basically treat housing as a health issue in the middle of a pandemic. But at the end of the month, that federal moratorium, it's set to expire, right? Correct. So what happens when that moratorium expires? So most estimates place the number of people at risk between about 13 million and 17 million people. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, and so the concern would be, you know, everyone expects the Biden-Harris administration to renew the ban, but the current ban expires December 31st and Biden isn't inaugurated until January 20th. So that three-week window, there's a real concern among housing advocates that the fact that it is such a limited window will actually make you know, landlords who are not being paid rent much more aggressive in sort of taking advantage of that three-week window, rushing to file eviction papers in court. And, you know, logistically, it is unlikely that 17 million people will be kicked out on the street, if only because most cities and states are already cash-strapped. They don't have the resources to be able to handle that kind of volume at housing court, much less, you know, have the sheriff carry out the eviction order. But it's still, it's a huge thing to be evicted. Even if you win your case and you stay in your home, you have an eviction filing on your record, and that affects your ability to rent in the future. It also affects your credit score. It makes it more likely that in the future, if you can rent, which a lot of landlords don't even consider renting to someone who has an eviction filing, but if you are able to rent, you will end up having to pay a higher security deposit, potentially have to pay a higher monthly rent, That makes it harder to save for a down payment to eventually move into a home. So it sort of sets you down a bad path to even have a filing against you, even if you win in court. But then on top of that, you have back rent. Tenants are expected to owe collectively as much as $24 billion uh, in back rent by January, according to one consulting firm's projections. So even if they aren't evicted, they will have this lump sum payment On the other end of this, when the crisis is over, evictions are allowed, they'll probably be struggling to maintain their homes at that point. Um, And on top of that, I mean, you just have a situation where that kind of debt will follow you. It'll affect your credit score. So it's just there are lingering effects of this that could hobble people financially for years. You're reporting that all of this, the threat of evictions, the possibility of evictions or, you know, an eviction being on on your record and preventing you from renting in the future, that it will disproportionately hit black and Latino people. And this follows, you know, a similar trend of the virus's health impacts and the economic impacts hitting those communities harder. But can you explain for someone who might not understand, like, What's behind this? Why are Black and Latino communities more likely to see a wave of evictions or the threat of evictions, unlike other groups? So there are a few reasons for that. One of them is just that job losses have disproportionately hit Black and Latino people uh, because, you know, they're overrepresented in these service industries that have just been wiped out by shutdowns. We have Black unemployment rates, and I should say the overall unemployment rate, uh, reaching into the eons of Great Depression levels. COVID has hit the nation like an earthquake. It's hit Black America like a triple earthquake. So you already see the unemployment rate is higher for those two groups than it is for whites. Um, The other reason is that Black and Latino people are twice as likely to rent as whites. That has to do with this sort of long, persistent racial homeownership gap, you know, the homeownership rate for white people is about 70% um, compared with about 40% for black people, which is consistent actually with the 
the home ownership gap in 1968 when they passed the Fair Housing Act. Now with this bill, the voice of justice speaks again. It proclaims that fair housing for all who live in this country is now a part of the American way of life. And made it illegal to discriminate against black home buyers. So it's, it's a really persistent yawning gap. And because of that, that means that 60% of black people rent versus 30% of white people. So you just have already evictions, any kind of thing that will affect renters will disproportionately hit black communities. But then on top of that, you have black and Latino people overrepresented among the people who've lost their jobs in the pandemic and are having trouble paying their rent. Um, and, you know, the most recent census survey conducted in November found that it was just 29% of black renters and 31% of Latino renters reported having high confidence they'd be able to make their rent um, compared with half of white renters. And that was being able to make their rent for this month in December. And then 40% of black renters and 35% of Latino renters expressed no or slight confidence in their ability to make rent compared with 21% of white renters. So already the numbers indicate that black and Latino tenants are struggling. You mentioned that you expect a moratorium to be put in place again when Biden and Harris take office in January. But I'm curious, like, in the meantime, if this does lapse at the end of December and it's, you know, weeks until they do take office, could we see any other sort of action in advance of then? Sure. So there are different states and cities have put in place their own bans throughout all of this. And a lot of them have expired at this point. You know, a lot of them did it early in the spring when the virus was new and then sort of let them lapse over the summer. Um, some of them have renewed their bans and people do expect some states and localities to kind of step in and fill the gap, but plenty of states and localities won't. I mean, some of them don't have any protections right now. So you have a situation where, say, California has a moratorium until January 31st. But if you're in Texas, which is actually a place where a lot of people are facing eviction, Texas and Florida are, are two examples of states where people are really struggling, there's no indication that they're going to have their own moratorium in the next two weeks. Katie O'Donnell, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thank you. Also today, President-elect Joe Biden is tapping former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm to run the Energy Department. The agency is set to play a key role in helping develop the technologies needed to fulfill Biden's pledge to move the country off of fossil fuels. And Granholm's experience in dealing with the auto industry could be a big advantage in speeding up the rollout of electric vehicles and the network of charging stations needed to power them. If she's confirmed, Granholm would be only the second woman to lead the department since its creation in 1977. And Facebook is partially lifting its self-imposed ban on political ads, allowing campaigns and parties to run digital ads only in Georgia 
as the parties fight for Senate control and two runoffs. In a statement released on its blog, the company said that while it's allowing Georgia-specific political ads ahead of the January runoffs, it would still reject ads that, quote, target locations outside of Georgia or that are not about the Georgia runoff elections. Facebook didn't clarify when it might remove the ban entirely, but said in its statement that it's maintaining a temporary pause on new political ads to curb misinformation around the election. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And to stay up on the latest on how President-elect Biden and his team are getting ready to take office in January, sign up for our Transition Playbook newsletter. You can do that at politico.com slash newsletters. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.